Some breaking news for you. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. The new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. You know, there was a point in my life where I decided, you know what? I'm just not going to shave my balls anymore because I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious because I just kept cutting myself and I was doing such a poor job at it. I was so unskilled that I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. And if anybody else has a problem with it, they can let me know. Well, as I l- soon learned, People do have a problem with that, but I also realized it wasn't my fault. It was that the technology just hadn't caught up to what society demanded. Well, technology has officially caught up with the Lawnmower 4.0. The advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code RCST. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. No, it's a beard. Once you've got the hair on the cheeks, that's a beard now. Also, and this is even more explosive than that last caveat, it can't just be something on the bottom. When I say goatee, I mean mustache connects all the way around, 360 degrees. It's got to be full connection from the stash to the, the actual goatee part on the chin. Wait, what's the difference between a goatee and a Fu Manchu? Well, Fu Manchu is just a mustache that... It's like a handlebar mustache sort of thing. It sounds like the same thing. Well, there's nothing on the bottom. There's nothing mm-hmm. that doesn't connect. The, the, key, the key operative phrase here is connection. You need to have full connection, okay? Circular. Circular. Or oval, you know. Um, you know, what got me thinking about this was Albert Pujols got released, and... I remember when I was a kid, there was, this is probably mid to early 2000s, probably right before the height of his powers. When were, didn't he win back-to-back MVPs? Yeah, he was the best player in baseball for like, I don't know, maybe four or five year stretch. I remember there was a Sports Illustrated cover when 
when he had to like basically say, Albert Pujols wants you to know he's not on steroids, which is like such an odd cover. I think mean, because Al, uh, Alex Rodriguez did it too. So when I heard saw that, I was like, oh, that's not usually if you have to come out and say it. But it rightfully like everybody was just sort of like, oh, well, he's hitting forty five to fifty home runs every year. He must be on steroids, just like everybody else who's ever done that. But I remember on that Sports Illustrated cover, it was a, it was a close up, a close up. Like, like uncomfortably close picture of Albert Pujols' face. And all I could think was, that's the perfect goatee. How often do you have to do that? Because there's no way he's doing it himself. And I mean, pull up a picture right now. If you're not driving, pull up a picture of Albert Pujols. And I want you to do it too, Derek. Pull up a picture of Albert Pujols' goatee and tell me that's not the most perfect goatee you've ever seen in your life. I mean, there's not one single hair out of place. It is so perfectly manicured. And the only other person I can think of that comes to mind with like the perfect goatee, and I'm not saying the perfect goatee is the best goatee or the greatest goatee, Clay Thompson. This is like he does the beard thing. now. He does the beard now, but I, like Clay Thompson, right into the league, fresh. Out of college, Clay Thompson. I'll never forget somebody had a tweet once, like several years ago, that said, Every night when Clay Thompson gets home from work, he takes off his goatee and he hangs it on the coat rack by the door. <laughs> like I think that's that's how perfect it is. It looks like it's just stenciled on and he can just sort of peel it off and take it off. And then every morning before he leaves, he grabs it and he puts it on and, and goes to work, grabs his briefcase and walks out the door. So now that you have a fundamental understanding of what a goatee actually is, mm-hmm. who's got the best of all time? The greatest in sports history? Hulk Hogan? It's shocking to me your inability to grasp like just the, the, the concept of what a goatee is. Hulk Hogan had the Fu Manchu. You asked me earlier, what's a Fuma? What's the difference between a Fuma and Chew? And I described it to you. Like, Hulk Hogan has one of the most famous mustaches of all time. Is this because you've never had to deal with facial hair that you just never have bothered yourself to learn the different I terminologies? Just never, I guess, like, I don't know. I've, I've never, like, classified athletes in my head as, oh, you have a Fu Manchu, you have a handlebar mustache, you have... You don't have to classify them. You just notice, hey, this guy's got a Fu Manchu. This guy's got a mustache. This guy's got nothing. Honestly, nobody is coming in my head who has. Jeff Bagwell? Doesn't ring a bell. You don't know who Jeff Bagwell is? I know who Jeff Bagwell is. I don't remember him ever having facial hair. Jeff Bagwell has the most facial hair. The biggest goatee of of all time. That's a beard. There's nothing on the cheeks. That's a beard. In order for it to be a beard, there's got to be something on the cheeks. I don't even. And here's you know the part that's actually making me legitimately angry, like angry, is that it's not up for debate. You can't call a goatee. You can't call a mustache a goatee, and you can't call a beard a goatee. What's it called when you just have the the facial hair like below your lip? Soul patch. Yeah, that's what that is. That's just an extended soul patch. Some people call it flavor saver, which I think is a little weird. disgusting. Mike Piazza had an interesting one. Not a good one. You know, Travis Kelsey even rocked the goatee for a while. This could be a future Let's Rank stuff. But it lends itself more to visuals than it does audio. Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's a that's a memorable goatee. 
Shaq had a good one too. Shaq, Shaq also had, had yeah, but Shaq also had the Fu Manchu. He did have the the handlebars for a little bit in uh, in L.A. I always appreciate a, you know somebody who's willing to experiment with the facial hair throughout their athletic career. Scott Pollard, I mean, probably the greatest to ever do it. But Drew Gooden, also another Jayhawk, who was not afraid of. Do you remember when Drew Gooden just had this square piece of hair in the back of his head? He was completely bald, and then he just had a square patch. <laughs> Looked like a little Velcro patch that you would, like, I don't know, tape something to the wall with. Oh, uh, Matt Tate is going to join the show. Matt Tate used to have a goatee, I think. Tate's got a beard now. And that's the thing. Every guy with a beard goes through a goatee phase. You have to. You have to go through a mustache phase. You have to go through a goatee phase. Do you want to cry right now? No, I'll give I, you fifty dollars if you cry on air right now. Why? Because I've never seen you with facial hair. Oh, I think we went through this conversation like a year ago, and I, I think grew we it go out. through it about once a year. Yeah, and then you did you were grow like, it. shave it, and then I told yeah. you to shave it after a week. I said, "Get that disgusting thing out of my face!" But I'm you proved me wrong. I'll never ask you to do it again. Never ask you to do it again. And that's a promise. KU still has a scholarship open for the basketball team, and we still know that they want to go after a point guard. Now, Ty Ty Washington's making his decision this weekend. Um, Every passing day seems like more and more buzz linking him to Kentucky, and that's no surprise. He has shot up the recruiting rankings. Most outlets have him as a top 20, top 15 player in the country. So KU, I, I would imagine, is probably digging deep and using their resources elsewhere. Severe Wheeler is another name that we've brought up. From Georgia, spent two years there, one of the top assist mans in the country. And there's a big turnover problem. He's not a great shooter, but in terms of just pure passers and pure distributors, he's probably about as good as it gets. Again, Kentucky linked to him as well. He cut his list to four last week. Kansas made the final four along with Kentucky, LSU, and Oklahoma State. Honestly, I would have to think it's either KU or Kentucky in that mix because LSU has already added... I think two players, two guards from the transfer portal. It just doesn't seem like they need any more. Uh, Oklahoma State, you lose Cade Cunningham. Um, Isaac Likely already announced he's coming back. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how he would fit there. Kentucky's interesting because if you're getting Ty Ty Washington, I don't really know how a guy like Severe Wheeler fits with him. But in the case that Kentucky were to get two of them, your options would be pretty limited at that point if you're Bill Self and this coaching staff. That is until earlier today, Remy Martin of Arizona State entered the transfer portal. Now, he's a senior, so he would only have one year left. And he is entering the draft, but with his measurables, I just can't imagine him being a guy that gets drafted. Uh, he's six feet tall, and he shot about 35% from three. So after I tell you why he can't get drafted, let me tell you why I think he'd be a great fit at Kansas. Because he is a scorer and he's a sort of do-everything type point guard. I don't know what the fit would be like with him next to Joe Yesifu, if that's what the backcourt would end up looking like. But this is a guy for two straight years has averaged 19 points per game. And if you remember that game back in 2018 when Arizona State came into Kansas and, and kind of put the whooping. I think that was on okay. a trivia question. Wasn't that the answer to the trivia question, the most three-point attempts in a game by KU? Well, I know they played Arizona State in back-to-back years. No, I think that was the answer. Was that the remember, one? That was one of them that our contestant later today, Andrew Wymore, he got the first end of the question, which was, 
what was the most made threes in a game, and it was against Texas Southern mm-hmm. that same year, and that later in the year they played Arizona State, and it was the most attempted threes by KU in one game. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, KU lost big in that game. That was when they had, um, we just looked this up earlier, Romello White. Um, who was the other? Trey Holder was the senior, I think, who went off against KU. Uh, Remy Martin was a freshman on that team coming off the bench. And since then, his trajectory has been uh, pretty impressive. Averaged 13 games as a so- 13 a game as a sophomore and exactly 19 a game each of the last two years. He's not a huge distributor, but he does average four assists per game for his career, which again, sometimes you like, we think of, oh, you need to average six or seven assists per game. If you average six or seven assists per game, you're going to be amongst the best assist men Frank in KU like basketball history. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Devontae, I think averaged seven his senior year, and that puts that it skyrocketed him up the charts. So you don't necessarily need that because, as we know, it's not going to be one guy who is dominating the ball, especially if you're coming in next to Yesifu. You've still got Dewan Harris. You've still got uh, Bobby Pettiford, Christian Brown. Like, there's other guys who are going to be handling the ball, so it's not like you need to be doing all that much. I don't know what this guy's going to do because, like I said, he's going to enter the draft, and I'd imagine that's the first decision he has to make before he decides whether or not uh, or who he wants to go play for. But he has at least indicated he's not going back to Arizona State because he's entered the draft and entered the transfer portal. KU was in on him out of high school. CJ Moore tweeted this earlier. Uh, Curtis Townsend was the primary recruiter for Remy Martin coming out of high school. So I don't know how much KU would be in the mix for him, but because he's a grad transfer, I'd imagine what he wants more than anything else is to get NBA eyeballs on him. Kansas would be a really good place to do that. And you come to Kansas, you're starting. Like you average 19 a game each of the last two years. If you come to Kansas, you are the starting point guard. Can Kansas, this is just me, just, I guess, almost rhetorically speaking, but I do want you to answer. Can Kansas afford to wait that long? If you have to wait for him to make an NBA decision, you're already still waiting on your two guys. Can you afford to wait that long to fill that scholarship? I don't know if it's their decision to make. Because if you miss out on Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler, who else is out there? Who else is out there that you have a legitimate shot of getting? Who else is out there that you have a legitimate shot of getting and would actually be an impact player? Because one thing they're not going to do, or they're not looking to do, I should say, is just add depth. I think they're looking to add an impact guard. Remy Martin would be that. So, if it's him or a bunch of dudes who are going to sit on the bench or are going to be developmental types, why wouldn't you? You're already waiting on two other guys and Ochai and Jalen Wilson to make their decisions. Imagine if all of them went to the NBA and you were sitting there with 10 scholarships. That would be disaster scenario. That would be worst-case scenario. I can't imagine, like, again, I don't know what the draft's going to say about him, but... He's six foot, 175 pounds. He is a career 34% three-point shooter. That doesn't scream NBA prospect. No. Not a great defender either. If you're going to be six feet tall, you, you need to have a niche. You either need to be lightning fast, you need to be a knockdown shooter, or you need to be a lockdown defender. And he's not any of those. He's a really good player. He's a really good player. But he's a really good college player. But we had this conversation in the offseason a couple times. If you bring in Remy Martin, 
he's in the conversation for your best player next year. And that is kind of what you're looking for. And, I mean, if, if you got, hypothetically, Remy Martin with Joseph Yesifu, I mean, chef's kiss to that backcourt because that would be so athletic, fast, quick. That is everything you want in a Bill Self backcourt. Yeah, because it's not – I keep trying to, like, catch myself saying, well, he's only a 34% three-point shooter. Okay, what do you want it to be? Like, again, maybe I'm talking to myself, but I no, think okay, there's a lot of KU thing. fans who are in that boat with me where it's like you're not just going to get 2018 – where you've got three starting guards and they're all 40% three-point shoot. That's not going to happen. You're trying, the transfer, yeah. you're trying to find the best mix you possibly can. There would be questions about putting Remy Martin and Joseph Yesby, two six-foot guards, neither of whom were strong defenders. There would be questions about that. When it comes to defense, though, history tells you the coach matters more than the pieces do. And I, f- I feel like over the course of... A five, six-month season, Bill Self's going to find a way to get those guys to play up to their potential. But, I mean, you've mentioned the name Severe uh, Wheeler a couple times over the over the course of this week. If you don't have issues with bringing him on because of the lack of shooting, then I would not worry about the Remy Martin thing at all. What do you mean you wouldn't worry about it at all? Well, I mean, if uh, what I mean is, I guess if you're not concerned enough with Wheeler with the 23% on shots away from the rim then 34% from three for Remy Martin shouldn't be an issue at all. Yeah, I think, well, they're different players. Yeah, like Remy so, Martin's a much more gifted scorer, much more gifted scorer. Uh, Severe Wheeler is more of a distributor. He's more of a facilitator. So they're different players, but yes, in the vein that neither one of them are going to be knockdown shooters, if you can just start from the standpoint of you're not getting one. You're not getting a, you're not getting a 40% three-point shooter to come in and play point guard. Like, maybe we thought that when Ty Ty Washington was a more realistic possibility that he could be that guy. I think he just won a three-point contest in some thing he did. But uh, oftentimes, guys can be good shooters in high school, and then they get to the college level, and you go, where'd that go? Bryce Thompson. Right? What happened there? So, I don't know. That would be the ideal scenario because Ty Ty Washington is the most gifted of the bunch. Remy Martin's also a grown man. Like, he's played four years of college basketball He's made what two or three? I think he's two. He's been first team All Pac-12 each of the last two years. So this is a guy you wouldn't have to worry about. Hey, how's the? How's this going to work? No, you know who he is. You know exactly who he is. And I almost wonder if it being this late in the stage of most of those big time transfers have found homes. He's just entering the portal today. I wonder how much that would lend itself to assist Kansas because. The other types of schools that he may be interested in may have that point guard spot filled because KU, I mean, we were kind of getting nervous about who's going to be that guy. Are you going to find a point guard to give the scholarship to? Well, if, you know, Ty Ty Washington goes to Kentucky and Severe Wheeler goes to Kentucky or LSU or Oklahoma State, like some of these other schools are going to kind of have their roster in line, either from a rotational standpoint or from a scholarship standpoint, whereas Kansas can say, not only do we have a scholarship available, We've got a spot available, and not just a spot for to compete. If you're Remy Martin, your pitch to him is you're our starting point guard. You can come in and be that dude, and you're going to have way more eyeballs on you than you did playing at 10 or 11 p.m. every night on the Pac-12 network. Like, this is where you want to be. If you got one more shot, who knows? I mean, like, there's been the big caveat with everybody. Do they want to compete for a national title? Because that's the, the unknown with KU with potential sanctions hanging over their head. But as of now, I mean, you'd have to feel 
pretty decent about your shot. We'll see more as it progresses and we find out more about his recruitment. We'll talk more about this with Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's going to join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This episode is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Join the Tommy Club. You can download the Tommy Club app and enjoy endless washing for one low price, Derek. That means unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, which, by the way, I've taken advantage of. It's kind of like the the express lane on the highway. You don't necessarily like to lord over everybody else, but when you're zooming through and getting in to get your car washed first, like that's why it's called Tommy's Express, right? You get unlimited access to all their locations, unlimited guest service, and perhaps most importantly, unlimited happiness, Derek. And I think that's something that we just don't emphasize nearly enough in life. I'm looking at your car right now. I'm thinking it could maybe use a trip to Tommy's Express. What do you got going on later? Thinking maybe you should stop there on your way home. You going to at least consider it? I will absolutely be going to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Now, the, the outside of your car, the exterior, it does look okay. Where my concern begins is the interior of your car. Yeah. When you have I, a, I don't a think dog. I don't think the inside of that car has seen a deep cleaning in quite some time. No, when you have a dog, when you have a golden retriever, you got hair everywhere. And they have those vacuums that, you know, it's going to get out for you. So, yeah, I'm definitely making an appointment. Tommy's Express Car Wash. What I love about the, the vacuums at Tommy's Express, the cord comes down from the top. So, you're not having to try and wrap it around your car and getting yourself into a pretzel. No, very flexible vacuums. You want to go to the left side of the car, the right side of your car. You're perfectly good. Tommy's Express Car Wash. Wash, rinse, repeat. It's about 20 till the hour. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk with Eric Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. KU still waiting. Waiting on decisions from Ty Ty Washington. Sounds like probably not coming to Kansas. Uh, Severe Wheeler. Georgia transfer. Now, he's got his name in the draft as well, but I'd be shocked if he left it in. He cut his list to four. Candace is on that list, very much in the mix. I'd imagine he would immediately compete for the starting point guard spot. And then a new name maybe entered the fold. Remy Martin of Arizona State. We saw what he could do against Kansas. He had two games against Kansas. One of them, he went off that first time around in, uh, in the Fieldhouse when Arizona State pulled off the upset. What's going to happen with that final scholarship? Are you treating it as if there's one scholarship? Let's talk about all that with Matt Tate of the LJ World, KUSports.com, who joins us now on the show. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, what do you think is the ideal scenario for how the rest of this offseason plays out for KU basketball in that remaining scholarship? Well, I'll tell you what, I think it's unfolding in an ideal manner. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that probably would have liked to see KU fill all of their spots two, three, four weeks ago, right? But this Remy Martin news is is kind of proof that waiting around, hanging around, leaving yourself a little room to maneuver is not the worst thing in the world um, because if they had filled up all their spots and then he comes available today – you can't even consider him. And, and you know, we don't know if they will or if they won't, but I would think anybody in the country is going to take a look at it. And, and especially when you consider that KU, you know, recruited him pretty heavy the first time out of high school, you, you almost 
have to think that they would they would at least reach out and say, hey, you know, well, what do you think? You want to come here and and you know see if there's a fit there. It doesn't mean there is. Um, it, it doesn't mean it's automatic. Obviously, he's going to have a bunch of different options. Uh, if you know, and, and he falls in that same category as Wheeler that you just talked about. You know, he's considering his NBA stock too. So, you know, there's so much up in the air. But 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 the way the reason I bring it up that way is because I think that you know, slow playing it is kind of a smart move, and and I'm sure that was partly by design and partly by just the way things worked out. I mean. Um, you know, if if, uh, if if some of these guys that they were in on earlier picked KU, then maybe it would be over now, and maybe they'd be just fine with that. But um, every once in a while, things kind of unfold that way and, and work out that way, and, and I think that flexibility and, and keeping your options open is, is always a good thing to have, and, and they do have that now. And, you know, like you said, uh, Ty Ty Washington, I think, announced it on Saturday, and, and – um, so that'll clear up a little bit whether he picks KU or doesn't pick KU. Um, and then uh, Wheeler is is in the uh, in in the in the range of making a decision, I think, as well. I mean, sometime maybe in the next week or so. So that that kind of clears that up too. If if you start to get some uh, decisions from these guys, but the good news is they they you know the best player in the country could open, come open tomorrow and and they would still have an option to go pursue that guy if, if that were to happen. So I think that Remy Martin's a guy that they absolutely should look at. I mean, everybody's familiar with him. He's been an all-Pac-12 guy, you know, preseason All-American last year. I mean, he's a talented, talented dude, and, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for another ball handler. Um, obviously, point guard skills are, are helpful, but um, just as helpful in, in that quest would be a, another guard who can score. So I, I think he fits that, and all those guys we mentioned kind of do fit that too. I mean, I think Wheeler's the the least uh, automatic, natural scorer of the of the group, but um, you know he's he's also a really good point guard that averaged seven assists in the SEC. So, um, and it's funny because I've written a ton about him over the last couple of weeks, uh, as a lot of people have, but. I've only written it. I haven't talked about it. I haven't really even heard much about it. And so until you, until I heard you bring his name up, I hadn't even considered that, that his, his first name is kind of like the word severe. It's, mm. you know, I mean, I know it is, but, but I always pronounce it with like a hard A-H sound, like Savir. And so I'm not saying you're wrong or I'm right. I, 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 that doesn't matter. I just had never heard how close that name is to the word severe. And you could do some marketing things and have some fun with severe. Yeah, especially now with the uh, new name, image, and likeness laws or rules that are going to be proposed here in the coming months. But we'll or are they right? That's, yeah, that's the thing that's about right. that deal. We we're still kind of uh, not not only in in college basketball, not only in the NCAA, at the NCAA level, but the federal government, um, the state legislature. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty and confusion with that stuff. And, you know, it's heading in the right direction. If you're, if you're looking at it from the perspective of the, of the athletes and, and the, the opportunity to make some money for them, but it's still so far from, from figured out. And it's still so far from, uh, I think being anything that you would consider easy where, you know, you just sign here and you go make money. I mean, that, that, that's where it'll get. And that's the objective, but, um, go figure. Politics and, and the NCAA are kind of muddying it up. That that doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? So with the guys that are currently in tow, Matt, with the guys that we know are going to be on the team next year, of the of the of the 
guards that KU's pursuing, is there a fit that you think works best? Is there somebody that stands out just in terms of the style of play and, and what KU has in tow that you feel like makes the most sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I think I think the answer is yes, but I, I think it's really – I say that, and then I kind of think all of them fit. I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Ty Ty Washington, I mean, he, he's got true point guard ability. He's, he's a terrific – um, game manager. He's a terrific. He has a great basketball IQ. I mean, he he really knows how to play and get others involved and, and sees it in, in at a pace that that really allows him to make plays and, and kind of slow everything down. So, you know, he, he's terrific in that regard. But he also is is has shown that he can go score too. So, you know, that that's the ideal player. And, and I'm not saying it's that it's just Ty Ty. I mean, that type of player is the ideal player. Um, and, and Wheeler, you know, Wheeler averaged 14 a game at Georgia and, and again, seven assists. I mean, so he's proven that he can run the show, but also go get a bucket if you need it. And, and, you know, uh, he's got some work to do on improving his shot and that kind of stuff. But just because his numbers at Georgia were one thing doesn't mean, you know, that that's exactly how he would produce or perform at Kansas. I mean, it'd be a totally different situation. He'd have more help around him. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you have to consider there. So, uh, you, you know, and then when you look at just those two, right, I mean, the difference is, well, Ty Ty looks nice, looks like a really nice player, but he'd be a freshman. And so this would all be new to him, whereas Wheeler has got a couple years under his belt of college basketball and, and in a major conference. So, you know, and then you go, if, if you throw Remy Martin into that mix or Nolan Hickman, the transfer from Kentucky, I mean, you know, those guys have done it too. And Remy Martin, the most experienced of that bunch and, and also produced and very proven. So, uh, you know, I, I think the way, I, you know, I talked to Coach Self a couple of weeks ago and, and you know, he, he was really emphatic about wanting to get back to, you know, having multiple guards that can, that can make plays and handle the ball and, and, and be out there together. Um, at the same time, and, and that used to be a staple of what he did over the last few years. It, it's really um, changed because they've had to have that one lead guard, and even even last year with with uh, Marcus Garrett, which you know who, he left a little to be desired as a as a true point guard, but um, self trusted him more than anybody, and, and he was capable of doing that. So you know, but prior to that, when you think back to, to Devonte and Frank playing together, or, or going back before that, when you had you know, Russell Robinson and, and Mario and, and Sharon. And I mean, they just had, that was, that was the way he always played going back to Illinois, going back to Tulsa. I mean, self always had teams that had those guards that, that it didn't matter who was the point guard or the lead guard or the off guard or whatever. You know, they had two, three guys out there at all times that could handle the ball with, with equal ability and, and attack and put pressure on the defense and set others up and defend and, you know, so he, he really, I mean, it sounds to me like he really wants to get back to that. And, and so, you know, the way you do that is go find multiple ball handlers. And that's what's so cool about Yusef, who, uh, you know, he's he's the type of player that if, if they don't add another player, he could start at point guard for them tomorrow, you know. But he could also play the two if they added a true point guard, maybe a guy like Wheeler or somebody like that. So, you know, they're, they're, it's very clear that that's the kind of direction they've been trying to take this recruiting and this offseason, um, you know, retooling of the roster. It's, it's, it's largely with that in mind. And, and you know, I, I think that's obviously something that self's comfortable with and, and something that makes your team better a lot of the time. So um, the, the question be, is, you know, do you have enough scores around? Do you have others that can – 
that can score when those guys are out there just making plays for others. And and so that's why a guy like Martin or a guy like uh, Ty Ty, perhaps, you know, the, the appeal is there with those guys because they're they're both right. They can they can go get their own, but they can also set up others and and, and kind of create for for their teammates. So I, I think that regardless of what happens, you know, they're going to add another player, and, and regardless of who it is or or whatever, um, if it's one of these four guys that we've just talked about, or if it's another one that comes onto the onto the scene or into the portal next week. I mean, you know, they're going to add another player, and 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 I think it's it's very, very safe to assume that it's going to be that type of player. And so when you look at it at the end, I mean, is it Remy Martin? Well, no, maybe you miss on him, but just because you miss on him doesn't mean it was a fail. You know, if you don't get Ty Ty, that doesn't mean it was a fail. As long as you fill that spot with that type of player, then, then the rest is about development. The rest is about, you know, chemistry with the team that he has here and, and putting it all together. So, you know, I, I think the, the only reason we would be shocked in the next couple of weeks or whenever it all settles is if, you know, he went out and took somebody that was a, uh, 6'10 forward, right? That, that, that wouldn't make any sense. And, and I'd be very surprised by that. But I think, I think you'll see that last spot go to a guard that, that is in that type of, uh, that type of mold that we just talked about. And, and whoever it is at that point should probably fit real nicely and, and benefit this team moving forward. But you are running out of options, right? Like, and I'm not saying that you're going to whiff, but. If you don't get Ty Ty Washington, if Severe Wheeler, who who goes to Kentucky or LSU, Oklahoma State, you know, um, Remy Martin would be a huge get because of the fact that he's a proven scorer and he's he's done it for four years at Arizona State. But if if you don't get any of those guys, how would you feel about about going into the next season? Maybe you maybe you add another piece, but it's not like an immediate impact guy. Maybe you add another piece that just provides depth. How would you feel about the situation and about the rotation if they're not able to add an impact guard? Or do you think that that's not even a possibility? Do you think one way or another they're going to get someone? No, I think it's definitely, I think you're you're right. I mean, it's definitely possible that that those guys could all make other decisions and and they could be kind of where they are right now with with the idea of, you know, hey, do they get Wilson or or Ochai back? And and at that point, if if they miss on all these guys we're talking about, which which is definitely possible, um, there's a lot of schools in on all those guys, um, then I think the importance of getting Ochai back really goes up. And and look, I mean, Ochai is the kind of guy that anybody would take on their team anytime, any year, any conference, any program. I mean, he's just he's just that type of player. He's proven. He's a great teammate. He's he's a great shooter. I mean, you know, these things are, are athletic, all those things. So, uh, of course, KU would like to have him back, and he would make them better if he does come back. But I do think if if they're not able to add a, a piece, like, I mean, Remy Martin would, would, would make it so that, you know, yeah, you'd still want Ochai, Ochai back even if you got Remy, but if you don't, well, there's kind of your replacement, right? I mean, that's that's an, I mean, they're different size, they're different players, but in terms of production, you don't have to worry quite as much. So, I, I think that would increase, and 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 you know, I still think though, even if they're not able to add anybody, uh, you know, if 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 you just look at what they have in that backcourt, there's enough there. I mean, it 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 might not be stellar it might not be considered the you know one of the top 10 backcourts in the country or anything like that but i mean you just throw dewan harris and and joseph yusefu out there together 
And, you know, you're a little small for sure, but I, I don't think Self's worried about the size as much. I mean, yeah, six four, long arms, uh, that type of player um, is, is somebody you want in any program. But um, I, I think those two guys are exactly, you know, what we just talked about a minute ago, which is a couple of guys who can handle the ball. They can put pressure on the defense. They can create for others. And, and you know, obviously, Yusefu's proven that he can score. I mean, he did that with Drake, especially down the stretch last year. And and then even Dewan Harris was was you know, trending in the right direction as a score toward the end of last season. So, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if, if that's where you have to have to start next season. And, and then you have some guys like Pettiford and, and uh, you know, others that, that, that could fill in around that. And, and Christian Brown's another option in the backcourt type of thing. So, you know, it, 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 I don't think it's dire. I don't think it's, oh, they got to get another one. Um, but, but I do think it, it, it probably takes them from a, pretty darn good top 10 type team to if they add a one of these guys we've talked about you know then they might be very well a, a top five team entering entering next season so it it you know it, that's sort of the, the 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 advantage of being one of the blue bloods right i mean it's mm-hmm. you, you, even if you don't get better you're still a top 10 type of team because of the roster you have that's that's not the worst thing in the world but um but there is there is room for improvement if they can add what you were talking about an impact type of guard He's Matt Tate. You can check out all this coverage, not just on KU Hoops, KU Football as well, KUSports.com, in the Lawrence Journal world. Always appreciate it, Matt. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Good talking to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. Yes, sir. That is Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Quick shout-out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros., and the Lawrence Public Library, our first matchup today, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self mac and cheese, the Haney turkey stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and taproom located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers, and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. Well, we've already got one seed into the Phenomenal Four. Isaac, the defending champ, secured his spot yesterday by taking down Ryan. So we've got one one seed in there from the Midwest region. Will it be two? Do we still have a possible rematch of last year's championship game alive? We're about to find out. Going to give away another spot. Actually, we don't give away spots. These spots are earned in the Phenomenal Four. It's a great eight matchup from the West region between the one seed, Tate, the runner-up from a season ago, and the seven seed, Andrew, who hasn't really looked like much of a seven seed. These are two of the top, I believe, eight in RCST trivia history in terms of correct answer percentage. Andrew is storming up that list with his run to the tournament. Andrew, one matchup left to make it to the Phenomenal Four. How are you feeling now knowing you're going up against uh, a seasoned vet here in Tate today? Well, Tate's a terrific competitor, and we all know that. He's built as classy of a program 
as there is round and he's done it the right way over time. So, you know, we, we've got to keep a tight huddle and do our best to, you know, try to make him uh, not play as well. Do you feel the momentum building a little bit for you, Andrew? You had an early exit last year. Obviously, it's been different this time around. How's the confidence and the momentum changed here throughout this run? We're confident. Um, we know uh, every game in this in one of these deals is is uh, you know obviously a single elimination tournament. So we just got to try to play with a free mind and and uh, do what we can put ourselves in the best position to succeed. Up for grabs, not just a spot in the Phenomenal Four, but with that, a four-pack of soccer tickets to Sporting Kansas City, a Sporting Kansas City jersey, toppling Goliath pint glass and hat, and, of course, a Phenomenal Four trophy, courtesy of Jayhawk Trophy. Tay, you've been there, done that. You've made it not just to the Phenomenal Four, but all the way to the championship game, looking to do that yet again. How about you? I mean, you've done enough of these matchups as much as anybody. Is pressure still a factor as you get ready for this Grade 8 showdown? Um, I think so. I think we've heard Bill Self talk before about losing in the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. Grade Eight in the RCS right. Trivia tournament uh, is the worst round to lose in. So, um, yeah, I'm just hopeful that I am confident in the questions I'm asked and then hopefully move on to the next round. But Andrew, he knows his stuff. So uh, I think we have a good matchup ahead of us. I think we do as well. We had a great one yesterday between Isaac and Ryan, and I'm hoping that that will uh, continue today. Tate and Andrew competing for a spot in the Phenomenal Four from the West region. Okay, you guys know the deal by now. The formatting is exactly the same as the last round. I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions alternating back and forth. We go until one of you guys gets it right and the other one gets it wrong. You still have 30 seconds on the clock. We will still play you a five-second warning. When you hear that ticking sound, you got five seconds left to answer. The cardinal sin of this competition is not getting an answer off because it's literally the only way you can guarantee that you're not getting the answer correct. All right, guys. I'm ready to do this. I hope you guys are as well. Andrew, Tate, do you have any last words before we get this thing started? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Andrew, once again... The feisty underdog as the seven seed. You want to go first or second? Stick with first, Nick. All right, here you go. Andrew, question number one. Scoring 20 points in the second round of the 2017 NCAA tournament, this KU guard's most notable play from their win against Michigan State was standing chest to chest and staring down Spartan star Miles Bridges. Frank Mason, the third. That is correct. Thank you for... uh, Clarifying which, Frank? That is right. All right, Tate, on to you. Tate, the last upperclassman to lead KU in steals per game was this senior point guard in 2018. That would be Devontae Graham. Yes, it would. Two for two. As expected, we go back to you now, Andrew. Andrew, when was the last time Kansas made the Final Four? You can give me the season or the tournament. Uh, 2018, San Antonio. I was there. Don't ask me uh, how that next game went, but yes, they did make it to the Final Four in 2018 in San Antonio. Tate, back to you. Prior to that, when was KU's last Final Four appearance? Prior to that, it would have been 2012. 2012, when they 
lost to Kentucky in the national championship game. All right, great start, guys. Moving on to the third set of questions now. Back to you, Andrew. Andrew, what KU player holds the record for highest career scoring average at 29.9 points per game? Will Chamberlain? That is correct. Just two seasons, so he's not up there on the all-time scoring list, but points per game, he's still got that all by himself, and I doubt he's going to be threatened anytime soon. All right, Tate, back to you. Your third question. Tate, what KU player is not only the program's all-time leading scorer, but also holds the school record for most career total rebounds with 1,187 of them? Uh, Danny Manning. That's right. Just one rebound advantage over Rafe LaFrance. One rebound. Rafe was from being the all-time, at least tying him. All right, guys. Great start. As expected, some people dubbed this the marquee matchup. We dubbed it the region of death in the West. And neither one of you guys going down without a fight. Andrew, we go back to you now for question number four. Andrew, what KU big man led the team in rebounds per game in both 2016 and 2017? Landon Lucas. Landon Lucas is the correct answer. Tate, your next question. Prior to Devontae Graham in 2018, the last upperclassman to lead KU in steals per game was this senior wing in 2013. I'm going to say Elijah Johnson. The correct answer was Travis Relliford. Travis Relliford led the team in steals in 2013. And we've got our first new blood into the Phenomenal Four. Andrew is moving on, pulling off the upset of the tournament, taking down Tate, our runner-up from a season ago. Andrew, you did it. A seven seed in the Phenomenal Four making history today on RCST Trivia. How's it feel? Well, first of all, uh, congratulations to Tate on a great run. And uh, honestly, my uh, snap inclination was Elijah there too. So, um, you know, sometimes it's it's just uh, um, luck of the draw there and Got to make the shots that are in front of you. That is the case. That's what we've heard so many people say. It's, you know, if I if the questions would have been reversed, that maybe that's the difference between somebody moving on and somebody going home early. Keyword there was wing. Yeah, I mean, I guess Elijah could be considered a wing, a guard, a combo guard, whatever you want to call it. It was 1.3 steals per game for Travis Relliford in 2013. Elijah Johnson, uh, 0.9. So just a, a little Maybe hair under one. Famously that year, you know, he was sort of unfairly being played out of position, yep. you know, as the lead as a lead guard or point guard there. So I, I, I see that, Derek. I, I see the disappointment on your face, Tate. I can uh, I can tell you wish you, you had that one back. How you feeling, man? I wish I had Andrew's question. I uh, I was a big Landon Lucas fan, so I knew that one. <laughs> I think 
the wing part did throw me off a bit. I honestly forgot about Relaford. I feel like he used to always fly under the radar. I remember him more so from the 2012 Final Four run. Um, yeah. Because when I think of 2013, I think of Elijah Johnson and Ben McLemore, and mm-hmm. uh, Relaford just didn't come to mind. So it is what it is. Congrats to Andrew. Um, Andrew, I'm officially on your bandwagon for the rest of the tournament. Uh, so I hope you go and win the whole dang thing. Okay. In that vein, if we're uh, if we're going to end this on a high note, which I, I like, I like the sportsmanship. Do you have any advice, Tate? You've been there. You've been not just at the Phenomenal Four. You've been to the title game. Do you have any advice you'd like to share with Andrew as he moves on? Um, no, Andrew knows what he needs to do. He, uh, he clearly knows his stuff and he just beat me. So I don't have any, uh, case to give him any advice. So he should be the one giving me advice going into next year. Well, Tate, it was another fantastic run for you. I mean, championship game one year, the grade eight next year. I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to be back better than ever next season. Thank you, Tate. Andrew, congratulations. We will see you in the phenomenal four. Thank you guys. Thanks guys. Thanks fellas. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa or call 785 749 4808. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. Have you still not heard? MLS is back and Sporting Kansas City is back in action. After finishing first in the Western Conference last season, Sporting KC is back in action and hungrier than ever to paint the wall. The best part is you can watch Polito, Russell, Busio, and the rest of our boys in Sporting Blue live in a limited capacity crowd again this season. To attend a match in person, Go to SeatGeek.com slash SKC and be sure to use code SKCRCST at checkout to receive an exclusive discount just for being a Rock Chalk Sports Talk listener. Again, use code SKCRCST at SeatGeek.com slash SKC before it's too late. Wow, that's uh, one of the biggest upsets. One of the biggest upsets we've ever had in RCST trivia. And it's mostly, I mean, if we're looking at seeding matchups, yeah, it's a seven seed over a one seed. It's not necessarily that I'm surprised that Andrew won because Andrew has proven this entire run this year that he is one of the best competitors in this field. It's more so just seeing Tate go down. I mean, the guy has been a machine. I think he's like 24, 26, I want to say, lifetime in questions. But again, like that was a prove-it game for Andrew, and Andrew just established himself as one of the titans of RCST trivia. I mean, you do. You take down a one seed like that, it's sort of validation for uh, for what he's accomplished. We had the question last week. We said, you know, if our blue bloods, so to speak, are Isaac, Tate, and Eric, and maybe throw Liam in there because he made it last year, but this year kind of lost out early, who would be that other person? Yeah. And we said it's kind of wait and see on this, and I think we got the answer right there. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's weird because that question that got Tate, who was KU's, who led KU in steals in 2013, when you think back to that team, and if I'm just if I'm just listing off the players in terms of uh, like memorability, is that a word? Memorability. It is now memorabilia. Noticeability. What about noticeability? Yeah, that's also not a word. But Ben McLemore, 
Jeff Withy are one and two. And then you probably get to Elijah Johnson, number three. And then it's Travis Relliford, number four. I don't mean this as a slight, but he's just not one of the guys that you remember like as quickly in terms of recall from that team. But first team all defense in 2013. And if you ever remember Bill Self, like whenever he talks about Travis Relliford, he talks about him as being one of the best one-on-one defenders that he's had during his time at Kansas. So it's a tricky one for sure. It's a tricky one, but uh, yeah, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of surprised that we've got new blood for the first time. We got new blood yesterday. We saw Isaac go in, and with Tate sitting there in the grade eight, and with Eric sitting there in the grade eight, I was kind of wondering: Is this just going to be how it's going to be every single year? Like those three guys are going to be competing for Phenomenal Four. And they were, and Tate did great, but, I mean, Andrew breaking through proves that there are some other competitors out there who are certainly certainly worthy of winning this whole thing because I think Andrew is capable of winning it all. Is it too early to proclaim this as the summer of, or I guess it's spring, the spring of Andrew? I mean, we have Andrew Filer in the grade eight. That's coming up later this week in the East. And then we obviously now have Andrew Wymore in the phenomenal four. Is it the spring of Andrew? If Andrew, I will say this. It's it's too early to say. But if Andrew Filer makes it through from the East region, we get two seven-seated Andrews in the phenomenal four, I'd be willing to have the conversation. Mm. I'd be willing to have the conversation. We should do some uh, deep dive analytics is what they call it and figure out uh-huh. what name, what first name has been most successful. Well, I think we already know. It's Andrew. I don't know. Isaac is it could Isaac carry the water all by himself, you know? If he wins it again. Mm-hmm. If he wins it again. Absolutely. I mean Isaac, he's the only Isaac to ever compete in RCSD trivia. That's worth noting as well. Mm-hmm. By the way, extra motivation now. I don't know if you saw the what the trophies looked like. The championship trophy. I did see those. We posted the phenomenal them on four ones are cool too, but the championship trophy, that thing is sharp. Yeah, check it out at uh, our Twitter page, RCST thirteen twenty on Twitter. Very cool, very cool. Can I touch Maybe. it? Yeah. Can I take it home with me? No, I don't think anybody will want it. That anymore. sucks. I'll never be RCST trivia champion. Uh. I just realized that. <laughs> that just that just hit me. Super disappointing. Wish I wouldn't have thought about it. All right, two matchups down, two more to go. Phenomenal Four will be set by the end of the week. This is RCST Trivia. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're kind of getting to that time of the offseason where uh, KU has one scholarship left for basketball. The coaching search is over. We're staring down the pipeline of about two and a half months of Royals talk. Uh, Sometime in July, we'll probably bring up Pete Rose and Barry Bonds uh, Hall of Fame discussions, uh, that sort of stuff. So... Let's enjoy this while we can still talk a little bit of KU. We'll do some football and basketball with uh, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, who joins us now on the show. Kevin, if you were to pinpoint one reason why Kansas State has been so successful over the past decade recruiting in-state kids, and Kansas has been so unsuccessful at recruiting Kansas kids, what would that thing be? Uh, I think some of its effort. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, that Kansas didn't recruit hard. I'm saying that Kansas State put more effort into recruiting local kids. And I think that that's, that's an important distinction 
to make because I, I think that it was the centerpiece uh, of Kansas State's, you know, sort of recruiting opus. That that was who they are. It's their modus operandi, and, and it's not that for Kansas, or it hasn't been that for Kansas. And so I, I think that that shows. I think that's a big part of it, and and I think too one of the things Nick is. There's a difference when you scout Kansas kids or, or kids from smaller states where you go out to a football field and you have one you know guy who's maybe a legitimate All-Big 12 guy out there and he's playing against or with 21 guys who are going to be accountants and dentists and, you know, and different professions in the future and aren't going to play college football. And you have to really – trust yourself on those evaluations you have to trust your ability to look at that guy and say okay i realize that this is a 280 pound offensive lineman blocking a kid who's 180 pounds but i can see the traits and i can see how he works and i trust myself with that evaluation i think that's something that kansas state does does really well and some of that comes from from having camps and getting a chance to see those guys in action against mortality kids or, or whatever else. And some of it is just comfort level with evaluating those sorts of kids. I think it's a lot easier in a lot of ways to go down to, say, Dallas Bishop Dunn, watch a practice where you know for a fact, hey, there's seven Division One kids on this field. We're looking at guy number eight and trying to determine whether guy number eight can play at that level. I, I think it's a different skill set, and I think that that's something that at times in the past maybe Kansas hasn't been quite as comfortable with making those evaluations within the state of Kansas, especially for smaller school kids as Kansas State has been. Yeah, who has Kansas got that's not from the area over the past decade? Like If I, if I took away the, the Casey Lawrence metro area... Who has Kansas landed that has made an impact? Well, one guy who did not make an impact, but, you know, I'm 100% willing to give the Beatty staff a pass on this one is Kenyon Tabor. Because Kenyon Tabor was a kid that watching him in high school, that guy really looked like he had star potential and written all over him and and was somebody that that you thought as an in-state guy, okay, this is a guy that both Kansas and Kansas State won desperately. Kansas got him, and it turned out that he had some medical stuff that you don't know until he shows up. And so that's a guy who didn't wind up having an impact. Uh, Bryce Tornaden was obviously a guy who, who had a decent career, uh, was a guy that, that they came in really late on sort of in that recruiting process. Didn't have you know the offers from Kansas State or other places, so it wasn't really a head-to-head recruitment. But you know, with somebody that did have some success, and then I think when you go back further than that, it becomes harder and harder to find those sorts of guys. The one that really stands out, obviously, are uh, is Ben Heaney. You know, with the Deneens obviously yeah. being from the area, and so you look at Ben Heaney, and he was a guy even that I'm not sure that that the staff fell in love with him through the recruiting process either, you know, but he was somebody that they kind of got to, well, we should, we should maybe take this. <laughs> and it wound up working, working out for him. But generally speaking, it's a perfectly fair question, especially when you look at the fact that if you were to put the top 10 players in the state of Kansas and potentially 
you know, on down in some cases to the top 15 kids in the state of Kansas, you know, 10 or 12 of those guys are usually going to have Kansas State offers. And when you look at, at Kansas in that same matchup, uh, you're, you're probably looking at closer to five, you know, if, if that. And so I think that that's been a big part of it as well. Yeah, when you look at some of the best players from Kansas that K-State has produced, um, you know, Jordan Willis, Wyatt Hubert. Um, Scott France. Scott France, yeah, right from here. Lawrence, uh, Cody Whitehair, who I'm pretty sure made a Pro Bowl a couple years ago. Those were not highly rated recruits coming out of high school, Kevin. So if if Kansas wants to follow that to the idea of, okay, you're, it's not about getting the top guys in Kansas. It's about getting guys that fit your program. Like, what should their point of emphasis be on the recruiting trail? Not just in terms of effort and going out and finding these guys, but in terms of fit and, and evaluating the players that will work for the program. Well, I think you have to find the right kids regardless. And I know that that's, you know, it, it sounds like a cop-out answer, but fit is the single most important thing, whether you're recruiting a Kansas kid, an Oklahoma kid, a Missouri kid, an Alaskan kid, wherever. You know, the fit is the most important part. Having said that, I think that there are some guys that, that Kansas could maybe be the first offer for or get out there, you know, early on, you know, that, that maybe they weren't evaluating as quickly before or maybe they were waiting for other people to make decisions on them. You know, the, the interesting thing to me is there's a four-star quarterback currently in, in 2023. He's out of maze. His name's Avery Johnson. And Avery Johnson's first offer was from TCU. And so when you look at a guy like that, you know, who's one of the top 300 players in the class is as evaluated by 24-7 sports, and you look at him being in Mays, Kansas, the fact that, that Kansas wasn't out front on a kid like that who, you know, is in-state, had that ability, you know, that that's something that maybe Kansas could stand to get a little bit better at. There's a left tackle currently out in Galena, Kansas, that I think has a chance to be a really big-time kid in that class. He doesn't have the, the sort of offers that that he probably should have for, for his ability in being a 2023-type kid. Maybe that's a guy that Kansas could go out and look at it and say, okay, this is an offensive lineman with mobility, with ability, He's somebody that, that's going to fit into this scheme. We're going to be the first Power 5 school to extend that kid that offer. And so uh, I think that, that evaluating early on and keeping track of kids, I think, is another big part of it. You know, finding guys who have interesting athletic traits as sophomores or juniors and then following up and following those kids as they grow. Because when you look at the state of Kansas historically, Nick, the state of Kansas classes weren't really necessarily all that strong. Look through like 2000 to 2010 when you look at, at say the top 10 kids in the state of Kansas, but where you started to see some bounce back and some really interesting kids were out of the junior colleges because guys were taking a year or two longer to get to where they should be. And so they would go to Butler or they would go to Coffeeville or or a place like that, and they'd come out on the other side, and they would be bona fide, you know, BCS level players. You know, Kansas got one of those guys on the Orange Bowl team, and Chet Hartley was a guy that had no offers out of high school, 
went to junior college for a year or two, and Kansas landed him over Florida State on the bounce back. And so I think what you're starting to see now is with more personal trainers in the state, with better you know weight rooms across the state, with better development across the state, you're starting to see those kids maybe a little bit earlier than you would have before. And so I think if you really did a good job of tracking those guys and their developments and maybe aiming you know, to have them, okay, maybe this guy isn't a Kansas player right now as a high school senior, but is he going to follow that Hartley path where he's somebody that is going to be a Kansas-level player and, and could help us potentially beat you know, Oklahoma State, whoever, within two years? And I, I think that's going to be interesting to watch with this new staff because I think that that's maybe one of the things that they could really focus on. So do you think that that works in lockstep with trying to find that scheme that gives you the best chance of success at Kansas? It's We're kind of projecting right now because all we have to go off of are tidbits and little nuggets that Lance Leipold has dropped in the past two weeks. But do we have an idea of, of, of maybe what that will sort of look like once they get to the Kansas level, you start to develop them and, and Lance Leipold and that staff start running the scheme that they want to run at Kansas. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you can see sort of physical profile with the offensive linemen. You know, they want guys who are quicker, more mobile guys who can, you know, move from one block to the next, who can make blocks in space. You know, a, a lot of that really shows up on tape. They were very multiple offensively. I mean, everybody talks about how they run the wide zone, and and I understand why. They were maybe the best wide zone running team in the entire country last year with, with Jarrett Patterson. But you also look at when they've had the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, they've thrown the ball. And, and I think that that's important to look at, too, because to win at Kansas, you can't necessarily just go in and say, oh, we're air raid. This is who we are. It's who we're going to be every year. I think it's more important to have a scheme that gives you the building blocks to go different ways, whether that means you're an outside outside zone team and play action, whether that means that this year, hey, we're going we're gonna to run more three wide and we're going to throw the ball around, whether we're going to play two tight ends because we've got two tight ends we really like. I think it's important to be adaptable and have a scheme that you can adapt your personnel. And I think that that's one of the strengths that you can look at with this staff is they have adapted with, depending on what they've had and what they've had coming back. Defensively, I think will be really interesting to watch too, because obviously, you know, Lance Leipold has talked about how they had a comfort level with the four man front, you know, at Buffalo, Obviously, Kansas has been attempting to build a three-man front over the last couple of years and has some players who maybe fit that a little bit better. And so it'll be interesting to see the different multiple looks, I think, that we're going to see because I don't see them just flat out saying, okay, Stephen Parker, put your put your hand on the ground and be a 4-3 defensive end. And that's not what they did really with, with Malcolm Koontz when they had him last year. You know, they allowed him to stand up and do some things. And so I'll be interested to see the adaptability maybe on defense as they try and figure out, you know, sort of what they have and what they're best at. Is there any position group that you're confident in is going to perform better or be better next year than last year? Yeah, I think I think they're going to be better in the secondary. 
because I, I think with the guys returning that they have, uh, with the new guys that they've that they've added in, I, I think the talent level is higher. I think they're deeper. I think they have guys who who look more like Big Twelve guys on that end and can run, have instincts. You know, I think that has a chance, Nick, to be a pretty good group, and certainly in the Big Twelve, with the way people spread you out and throw the ball around, there are a lot worse places to be strong at. I think that one of the areas that they'll be stronger will be the offensive line, probably. I think in addition to being, you know, potentially better coached than they were, and not that they were poorly coached, but I think that that Fuchs is a real, you know, sort of budding star in this profession, I think that there's a chance that they could receive an upgrade in coaching as well as the fact that you actually have a couple tackles now. You're not asking Malik Clark to go out and be a left tackle against the Big 12's best edge rushers. You're moving him back inside where I think that he's a fairly quality Big 12 guard. And so I think, you know, by virtue of those moves, the offensive line will be better. The defensive line has a lot of talent. I think that losing Dejon Terry obviously hurts to uh, to Tennessee and hurts the depth in that group. But I think across the board, you know that that's a group that heading in out of the spring game I thought was a legitimate too deep, and they haven't had that in a really long time. Occasionally, they've had a really good piece or two, you know, like Dorrance Armstrong or or Daniel Wise, but they haven't typically been good at all at all three or all four spots and certainly not on the two deep and so I thought that was one area and the other place I think Nick that will be interesting is because they had so many injuries and so many things happen at running back last year and the attrition and everything else I think bringing those guys back them being healthy and adding in a talent like Devin Neal you know, Kansas hasn't had a running back like a Devin Neal probably since June Henley. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that he's, you know, 100% better than Puka Williams or John Cornish, who led the Big 12 in rushing. What I mean is those guys were, were sort of different kinds of talents. You know, obviously, Puka was a, was a super quick guy who could, who could put his foot in the ground and get just about anywhere he wanted on a football field. James Sims was a guy who was a really talented runner, you know, in terms of making something happen when the blocks weren't there. You know, he would twist this way and fall that way and would gain four yards when you would look at it and say, how did he not just get tackled for for a two-yard loss? You know, John Cornish had some of the best long speed that you would see in a Kansas running back. And so gains that a lot of times would go for 10 yards with other guys Cornish would kind of hit that track speed and he would be off to the races, even against the better teams that, that Kansas played, you know, June Henley was a big fast back. You know, he had sort of that complete every down package that, that people are looking for and, and got, you know, a little more than an NFL cup of coffee because of that. And I think that Devin Neal is that same type of talent in terms of being a little bit bigger back, you know, he's been between 217, 220 pounds, you know, in recent workouts. He's a guy that may be a sub four five guy with the way that he runs. And, and Kansas hasn't typically had that kind of running back in, in its backfield in, in a long time. And so you add that type of guy to the guys that they have coming back, the guys that have, you know, improved from last year to this year. And I think running back has a chance to be better too. 
Is Devin Neal going to be the guy for Kansas's offense next year? I think there's a chance of it. And the reason why is I think that he and Belton Gardner both potentially have this ability to be really good wide zone runners. And if you look at at what Buffalo had done and the type of coach that, that Lance Leipold is, Nick, one of the things I could see him saying is, you know what? We may not win a lot of games this year, but we will get outside zone correct. <laughs> you know, that will be the thing that we will do well, and people will know that that we are going to run this well. And, and he runs a really nice counter action off of that as well. And I think when you look at Kansas's running backs and who's equipped to run that well, you know, I, I think Devin Neals has a chance to be a really good outside zone runner. And, and I think that, you know, Belton Gardner is a guy that, is a lot more physically like the guys that they had at Buffalo and I think has a chance to be a really good outside zone runner. And so I think that Neil has a chance to put himself right into that discussion from the second he arrives on campus. Will he beat out Gardner and, and Pisa Hickson and, and and those other guys? I, I don't know, but I think that he has a very good chance to put himself at least in that discussion, if not win the job outright. I said we'd talk basketball and football with Kevin Flaherty. We're running out of time, but I'm a man of my word, so I'll ask you one basketball question before I let you go. Uh, one scholarship left. It's kind of been sitting there for the last couple of weeks for Bill Self and the basketball program. What's the ideal scenario? What's the best-case scenario for how this offseason ends? You know, I, ideally, I think Kansas would like to get a point guard and a veteran point guard at that, somebody who – could maybe slide Yasufu off of the ball and, and allow him to be the scorer that, that he really is and and run sort of those two ball handlers together that Kansas has had so much success with, like Frank Mason and Devontae Graham or Devontae Graham and Malik Newman and, you know, Taylor and Elijah Johnson. When you look at, at all of those scenarios, uh, I think it self really likes it when he has two ball handlers together. I, I think if you were to say, hey, who's out there that would make this interesting, that, that would be a really good pick. I, I think that Remy Martin is maybe the most intriguing guy. The, the recent, you know, the Arizona State star who recently announced that he was heading into the transfer portal. You know, Kansas fans are very familiar with him because they've been on the wrong end of, of a couple of Remy Martin outbursts. And I think that Martin would be a really intriguing fit because of, how slippery he is, how quick he is, the amount of points he can put up even against good defense. I think that he would maybe be one of the better fits among the guys out there if if Kansas can get involved. In it. And I do think that Kansas will get involved there. There you go. That's a nice little nugget to lead us on. I remember that game in, uh, in Allen Fieldhouse where Arizona came in and hit a whole bunch of threes. And Remy Martin was, uh, I think he was the like sixth man that year. And he came off the bench and, and hit a few, so it's always good to turn a former enemy into a friend. We'll see if that happens. Kevin Flaherty is his name. You can check out his work, 247sports.com. Always appreciate the combo, Kevin. Thank you, man. Thanks a lot, Nick.